This episode is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that has developed a simple and straightforward management fee based on profit, not revenue. If you're a hotel owner that believes in a new way of doing business and want to learn more about the benefits of a profit-based management agreement, visit knowinghospitality.com. Now let's get to the podcast. About 18 months ago, we said, let's do more projects like the Weston. Let's take capital risk again. And let's look to develop some hotels where we will manage them after they're developed, as opposed to being just a fee developer providing services in the development effort. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Glenn Malone. He's the president and CEO of Well & Good Partners, a hotel management and development firm based in Memphis, Tennessee. Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the scenes of a hotel ownership company? Well, I have. And as a senior leader for several hotels and hotel management companies, I was close to it for a long time, but I always felt I had a knowledge gap in the air quote, business of hotels side of the industry. This episode tries to fill in the blanks as Glenn, who started as a busboy at a Holiday Inn, talks about his journey up the ladder to eventually developing and managing a hotel. He shares great insight into the mechanics of how his company came to be, the pivot they made when they saw an opportunity to grow, how they went about financing their hotel, and the lay of the land today as we emerge from this last downturn. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you take away some new insights as well. So let's get to it. This is episode 68 of the Proven Principles podcast, Glenn Malone on hospitality entrepreneurship and developing a hotel. Enjoy. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Good to be here. Why don't you start with telling a little bit uh, about yourself? What's Where are you from? How'd you get started in the industry? Yeah, sure. Um, so my story is I'm, I grew up in uh, Mississippi on a farm, uh, hum, very humble beginnings. Um, and uh, when I was 16, I had an opportunity to uh, get a position at a local Holiday Inn as a busboy. And I'd never had a job before, and it was an opportunity to make some money that I never had had growing up, really. And so um, I took that job, and I, from there, my story's probably not unsimilar to many. You get into this industry, and you stay in the industry, or a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I uh, I finished high school working at that Holiday Inn, you know, progressed from uh, busboy to dining room waiter to banquet waiter to banquet captain. And so by the time I graduated, I was a banquet captain and that gave me the income to be able to send myself to college. And so, um, I, uh, went to college at what was then Memphis state, now the university of Memphis, uh, <clears throat> got an accounting degree. Uh, although I, Realized very soon after getting my degree that was a mistake. Um, I didn't enjoy accounting. And so I did that for one year. All of this, I'm still with Holiday Inn. So uh, I, I, Holiday Inn at the time was headquartered in Memphis, Tennessee. And so that's where I went to school, college. And uh, so I, so I uh, said, okay, I don't want to be an accountant. What do I want to do here? And I had the operations experience that I just mentioned at the hotel level. And so uh, I had this accounting background. So I went into financial planning with Holiday Inn. So sort of a blend, you know, it helped to have the operating background, 
but it also helped to have the accounting degree. And from there, uh, was just blessed to be able to progress into a number of different positions with Holiday Inn. And some may not be aware, Holiday Inn uh, launched the, the Embassy Suites brand. Mm-hmm. They also launched the Hampton Inn brand and the Homewood Suites brand. <clears throat> and so I ended up working with all three of those brands as I progressed in my career. Uh, as I left Holiday Inn and worked with Embassy Suites, it was much more pure financial planning, uh, more at the corporate level, but rolling up all of the hotels that we were uh, managing and looking at the financial results of those and forecasting, budgeting, all of that type thing. From there, I went to work. uh, Holiday, as I mentioned, launched the Homewood Suites brand and extended stay brand. And uh, so I was able to join as that brand was launched. So I got some great experiences. We launched the Homewood Suites brand. And then uh, we launched Homewood in 1988. And uh, so we, we were in a, you know, rolled right into a recession. Uh, we had sold 200 franchises. And yet uh, three years later, we had 16 hotels open, eight of those being franchised hotels. So obviously the start was slower than we had hoped. And so uh, the overhead organizations of Homewood were combined with Hampton Inn. Uh, And I was one of the few from the Homewood side that made the transition over to Hampton. Most of us at Homewood were let go uh, because Hampton was a more established brand. They had a larger organization and it was easier for them to absorb Homewood than Homewood to absorb Hampton. But I I made the transition over, uh, began to support the franchise system of Homewood Suites and uh, and got some exposure to Hampton Inn while I was there, too. In the uh, uh, early 90s, I left uh, uh, Memphis and went to work for a gentleman named John Q. Hammonds. Uh, John Q. uh, was an early Holiday Inn franchisor opened the 75th Holiday Inn, and I believe 1958, which was certainly before my time. Uh, When I joined John in 1993, he had about 35 hotels, most of which were uh, Holiday Inn hotels. And he had started to dabble with some other brands, one of which was Embassy Suites. And so I had some experience with Embassy, but I really went to work for John uh, and my effort there was to recapitalize his business. And so it was a big step, you know, from what I had been doing at Homewood as I joined him. Uh, one of those things, you know, you look back on and probably if you had known what you were getting into, you wouldn't have done it. Uh, <laughs> you you would have said, whoa, that's over my head. I can't swim in that water. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, you know, I, I did, and uh, and we performed. It was it was a great ride. I learned a tremendous amount. And in short, while I was with John Q. Hammonds, we did a couple of large bond offerings because this is 1993. So again, we're coming out of the recession, and uh, traditional banks were not making hospitality loans at all. Uh, certainly not for new build hotels, but not even for existing cash flowing hotels, and so. We talked to a, a tremendous number of traditional banks, but ultimately wound up uh, on uh, 
you know, in New York. And, and uh, interestingly enough, worked with Lehman Brothers, uh, which, of course, is no longer. Mm-hmm. But we worked with Lehman Brothers and we did um, a high yield, $300 million high yield debt offering, which allowed us to refinance uh, a good amount of debt that Mr. Hammonds had coming due on hotels and uh, we we needed to repay about $200 million of debt. So we did that, but obviously that left us with $100 million of additional proceeds. And we took that and got got uh, John Q back into the development business because he, he, he couldn't get financing anywhere, so he couldn't develop. And that was certainly his love. So uh, we started developing hotels again. Uh, and within a year, we did another $90 million bond offering, similar situation, uh, refinancing debt on a smaller number of hotels, but it still brought in additional proceeds above uh, the amount we were refinancing, and we just plowed that into development as well. And so it was a, it was a great time for me from 1993 to 1998 to really learn about how hotels get financed and, uh, and frankly, a whole new level of development. Uh, John Q was a big believer in full-service hotels with meeting space. I had not really worked much in the meeting space arena, a little bit at Holiday Inn, but not not significantly. And so I gained a great appreciation for what that meeting space could do as a demand generator for a hotel mm-hmm. when, when properly done. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, we did an IPO for John Q, took his company public, oh, wow. <clears throat> We sold 27% of his company, and uh, that raised at that time about $100 million in 1994, I believe it was, and uh, may have been 90, I think it was 94. Uh, but anyway, raised about $100 million. And again, we just plowed that into new development. And so we were developing hotels in the 200 to 400 room range, full service, uh, and we of the 20 hotels we developed during the five years I was with John, only one of those was a Holiday Inn. Uh, John was a big believer in atrium hotels. He, he had these wonderful hotels uh, built around atriums, but they, they carried a Holiday Inn flag. And we, you know, we talked about it, and, and he, he was convinced, you're right, we should go to a more upscale brand that is in keeping with the product that we're developing. And so we we did a tremendous number of embassy suites within that 20 hotels that we developed. Uh, but we also did Sheraton, Marriott. Uh, we did a couple of Homewood suites. We did a couple of Hampton Inns, which obviously I had some experience and exposure to those. And so it was a great ride. All and franchised? Then, uh, pardon? All franchised? Yes. Uh, yes, that's a great question, Adam. So I had moved when I joined John in 1993. I had moved from being on the franchisor you know, side of the table with those four brands I mentioned, Holiday, Hampton, Embassy, Homewood, whichever brand I was with at the time, to being on the franchisor side of the table. And so uh, the experience I'd had with those four brands on the franchise or side was certainly an asset to me as I moved over on the franchisee side. And we negotiated a lot of uh, franchise agreements, uh, obviously, to get 20 hotels developed. All of Well, actually, we did a couple of independents within that 20. Not all were franchised. But uh, I don't want to drag this out too much, but to finish kind of where, where I am, uh, I left 
John in 1998, he, again, Springfield, Missouri, and came to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and I came to work for Gaylord Entertainment. And Gaylord Entertainment owned the Opryland Hotel uh, in Nashville, the largest non-gaming hotel in the U.S., about 2,900 guest rooms and about 600,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space. So I'd been working with John where we had hotels with some of them considerable meeting space, 100,000 square feet, I think, was the largest that we worked with at John's company. Most, though, were in the twenty to 30,000 range in terms of meeting space. And so I come here to Nashville, which is where I am still today, and uh, start working with Gaylord. And it's it's yet another big leap for me in terms of career growth, learning really the mega convention hotel business. Um, so certainly the work I'd done with John and Springfield was a great platform. But um, these these mega convention beasts are are in, indeed another animal. They are another animal. There's no yeah. doubt. <laughs> so um and but I came here not to I did I did oversee the Gaylord Entertainment Opryland Hotel here in Nashville, but I came here to uh to get uh Gaylord hotels developed in other markets. At that time that was the only convention hotel Gaylord had. And so I um <clears throat> along with others, it's not just me, but uh, we we built a development team because there was no development team here, uh, and uh, we went out and, uh, in, in short, developed a couple of hotels while I was with Gaylord, the Gaylord Palms in the Orlando market, which is a 1,400-room, at that time, a 1,400-room hotel with about 400,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space, and then secondly, we also developed the uh, Gaylord Texan, which is in Grapevine, Texas, but Dallas-Fort Worth market. It's about five minutes north of DFW Airport. A 1,500-room hotel, again, another 400,000 square feet of meeting and exhibit space. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was just a blast, a great time for me. And then I'll pause. I'm doing a lot of talking, but I left Gaylord and uh, co-founded uh, Well and Good, which is what I'm doing today. Uh, and that was roughly when uh, I, we we founded what technically we founded Senate Hospitality in 2002. And just uh, a few weeks ago, we changed the name to Well and Good Partners. And now so you're running been, your own shop. We've been operating for about 19 years. We're running, running your own shop now after working for, for all these other companies. You got your own place. Yes, yes, and it's quite different running your own shop than working, doing all the other things I did. <laughs> Tell but me I, about I, it. <laughs> I've had a blast doing it. Yeah. Um, so, can you give everybody a sense of the structure at Well and Good? Uh, do you own hotels? Do you manage hotels? Do you do both? Do you do neither? Uh, we do both. Um, we we founded Well and Good in 2002, as I mentioned. Uh, again, interestingly enough, coming off of a recession uh, that 9/11 had created, and <clears throat> uh, the gentleman that I co-founded uh, the company with, he and I at the time uh, really looked back to that big prior recession, you know, that we went through late 80s, early 90s, and said, you know, we're going to have the same thing happen. We're going to have a lot of hotels that banks take back from the owners and those banks are going to say 
we need somebody to operate these assets because we don't we know banking we don't know hotels and so we thought that we would be able to pick up management contracts as a result uh, however what i think we missed adam was the the banks had wised up since that last time uh, and they realized we don't want hotels on our balance sheet and we need to do everything we can to keep them off our balance sheet so banks were much more willing uh, you know there in the early 2000s coming off of 9/11 uh, they were much more willing to restructure debt and I, and I think it was it was smart of them because they realized it was a you know, uh, a recession created by uh, acts of terrorism and the economy would likely bounce back. And so it didn't make sense to take these hotels, these assets from the owners. And so yeah. uh, so that kind of changed our, our approach, Adam. Uh, so these, these banks weren't having uh, hotels that they were taking back, which meant we didn't have the management opportunity we thought we would have. And so uh, we said, okay, well, what do we know? And we said, we know development. And what we realized, uh, you know, while I was at John Q. Hammonds, while I was at Gaylord, what I realized was a lot of architects have people come to them that want to develop a hotel, but don't know how to do that. They perhaps they are um, a multifamily developer, office developer. They're in the real estate business developing. So they know real estate development, but they don't know hotels. They go to an architect and many of those developers will know right away. I need expertise on my team. I need hospitality expertise. Sometimes not. Sometimes they get into it with their architect. The architect begins to ask questions. Okay, let's talk about the development program. What do you want this hotel to be? Well, I don't know, a 200-room hotel. Okay, is this limited service or full service? And you start getting into the basic questions of what will a hotel be that you develop as you go through that development programming stage, and they struggle. And so the architect says, you need hospitality experience on your team. And so... Uh, another type of client, by the way, would be someone who wants to develop a hotel who has no real estate development experience. And <clears throat> oftentimes, uh, uh, those individuals get a little further down the road before they realize they need the hospitality expertise uh, than those that are already in real estate development, but just not the hospitality segment. Uh, so anyway, all of that to say, Adam, we've, we've done a lot of business with a lot of architects. Uh, we've crossed paths with a lot of people over the years. And so people, you know, architects would say, okay, Adam, you, you're not able to answer our basic questions here about what you want to develop, uh, but we know a guy. Why don't you call Senate Hospitality, now Well and Good Partners? Uh, Here's Glenn Malone's contact information. Give him a call, and I think he can help you out. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we started doing. We started providing development services for a fee to third parties, um, and and you know uh, it, it, things things went well. We've just, and we've done a tremendous there. amount of that um, mm -hmm. along the way. Uh, we crossed paths, not crossed paths. We really. Uh, uh, 
got involved in a project in Memphis, Tennessee, similar to what I just described to you. A gentleman wanted to develop a hotel, went to a local architect, couldn't answer those basic questions for the architect so the architect could do their work. And the architect referred that individual to well and good. And so we came online and started working on that project. And this was in 2004. So the company was only in existence for about two years. And we started working for this gentleman. And and this scenario I'm about to describe is not unusual. We got maybe three or four months into the assignment. And this gentleman said, you know, I don't need to do this. This is, I don't know the hotel business. Um, It's a little bit bigger effort than I realized it was going to be. Um, So I'm not going to do this. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's certainly understandable. Again, we have we have that quite a bit in our uh, business. Uh, we, we run into that quite a bit. But what this gentleman said was interesting. <clears throat> he said, <clears throat> you gentlemen have spent a lot of time in Memphis. I, I'd come from Memphis, right? That's where I went to school, worked the Holiday Inn there. So why don't you develop the hotel? And so uh, my partner at the time, Dave Jones, <clears throat> and I were driving back to Nashville. And we just started talking about it. And, you know, we said, you know, um, we're, we're, we're making it okay. We're providing development services to third parties, but it probably helps our development business if we develop a hotel ourselves. It's one thing to say, uh, Adam, I've developed hotels at Gaylord Entertainment, mega convention hotels. I've been a part of developing hotels at John Q. Hammond's Hotels. You know, everything from, you know, limited service to full service 400 room hotels with a lot of meeting space. You know, I've been a part of developing uh, Homewood Suites when we launched that brand. Uh, we, we, we developed eight company owned hotels to, you know, to kind of jumpstart the franchising effort. Um, it's another thing to do that yourself. Um, and it's the same process, but when you take personal capital risk, you look at things a lot differently and maybe a little more closely. Uh, but you, you just, it, it causes you to really appreciate how important each step of the development process is when it's your capital at risk. Yeah. And, um, and so Dave and I talked about it driving back to Nashville and said, let's, let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can tackle this. This gentleman we were working for, by the way, wanted us to develop uh, for him a 100-room independent hotel. Um, We told him that we thought the hotel needed to be larger and it needed a franchise. Uh, There certainly are opportunities where independent hotels make sense. uh, But in this case, we felt like the the project needed a flag behind it that would also be a significant demand generator. And so... um, Again, I don't want to take too long in the description, Adam, but basically what happened was this started in 2004, and in late 2005, we closed on the capitalization uh, for the development of a 203-room Weston uh, hotel at that time under the Starwood umbrella. Of course, now it's under the Marriott umbrella. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started construction in early 2006, opened in April of 2007, and we've owned and operated that hotel since. Wow. What was the process of going and getting capital to develop or build that hotel? 
Yeah. Um, well, oftentimes in hotel development, the place to start uh, on the debt side is with local banks uh, because they are in the market. They understand the market because they operate there. Uh, and obviously, you need to find a, a lender that is also uh, willing to lend into the hospitality space. But um, uh, so so that's what we did here. Uh, we went uh, to a local bank at that time called First Tennessee Bank. Now it's uh, First Horizon Bank. Uh, and they provided us with the first mortgage for the hotel. Uh, we, uh, we also realized that we needed, um, a, you know, it still left a pretty big gap of equity that we needed to provide. And we knew that all of that equity could not come from us alone. We weren't deep enough. And so uh, we began to explore how to round out the rest of the capitalization. Just to give you some specifics, at that time in 2006, when we started construction, or in 2005, when we were working on the financing, it was a $40 million project budget, $40 million all in. On, on a ground lease, by the way, uh, owned by the city of Memphis. Uh, and so, which complicates financing, by the way, ground leases are not as easy to finance as, um, as fee simple land is. But we thankfully, we had had some exposure of developing or excuse me, financing uh, new developments on ground leases. And so uh, we, we had a sense of what we needed to tackle there. But the, we, we had a $23 million first mortgage loan on a $40 million project, leaving us with a $17 million gap. And so we, we became aware of a new program, which we had never worked in before, called New Market Tax Credits. It's a federal uh, program that provides uh, income tax credits for development of projects in low-income census tracts. Even though we believed this was a great site within a great market, it happened to be in a low-income census tract. So we qualified for new market tax credits. The short of that dis dis discussion, Adam, is it was incredibly complicated. Uh, we did one of the first new market tax credit uh, deals ever done um, because it was early on in, in this, this new uh, benefit that the federal government was, was promoting. Uh, but but uh, that provided uh, about $3 million of the capitalization that we needed on the project. And again, I won't spend the time here to go through all the details, but um, it, was, it was a good add to the project that allowed, allowed us to bring some low-cost uh, capital into the project uh, that enhanced the, the returns on the remaining equity we still needed to raise. The other thing we had going on there, uh, Adam, was we needed a debt guarantor. Hmm. Uh, First Tennessee Bank at that time, now First Horizon, was offering us a loan, but it was recourse debt. And so um, we needed a guarantor. We needed someone to stand behind that loan. And uh, again, we were not deep enough to do that. So uh, we found a local Memphian. Uh, who had a, a, a significant uh, net worth and was specifically interested in seeing downtown Memphis uh, developed well, uh, and particularly this site. He had an interest in seeing this site developed well. 
and we approached him and he agreed uh, to guarantee the debt for a fee. And so uh, we negotiated that agreement. And at the same time, we negotiated with him what effectively was a, uh, a second mortgage on the hotel as well of uh, a little over $6 million. So to round out where we are now, we've got a $23 million first mortgage loan. We've got a $6 million second mortgage getting us to 29. We've got about $3 million of net proceeds coming in from this new market tax credits transaction, getting us to about $32 million, leaving us with an $8 million equity gap. And that was a lot more uh, doable than where we had started with just a $23 million first mortgage and a $17 million equity need. Yeah. And so we went out to uh, individual investors and we raised $8 million um, along with our partnership. And, uh, and that rounded out the $40 million capital stack. And every step along the way could have just killed that deal. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. And and really, Adam, every step along the way, while again, we had been exposed to it, it's it, it was a different type of exposure this time, uh, being the sponsor developer of the project, you know, and taking capital risk. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned it. Did it end up, oh, it was a Weston that you developed, right? So mm -hmm. did do you think that having that flag... Um, well, had you guaranteed that it was going to be a Weston at that point? Had you signed an agreement with them? We did. We we early on, before we even secured the the first mortgage financing commitment, we went to Starwood. Uh, we actually approached another brand and spoke with them about one of their upscale assets. I won't name them. I don't want to put any bad light on them, but they they said, you know, we don't think Memphis is is a market for that. And so we said, well, we think it is. And, and so then we approached Starwood and uh, Starwood, frankly, had a similar response. You know, they looked at Memphis and said, we don't we don't see a Weston in Memphis. And with them, we said, I tell you what, what if we fly you to Memphis and show you what we see and see if you see what we see? Mm -hmm. And they agreed. And uh, we we had a great meeting in Memphis and that. That gentleman, a guy named Ed Luzarder with Starwood at the time, left saying, you're right, Memphis is a Western town, and I think I think could do very well here. And so um, we were able to secure the, the Western franchise. So you you were able to, so, okay, so, so the stars aligned, this happened. <laughs> uh, was it, and then, I, oh, what was the process then in getting your second property? Well, we actually don't have a second property. Okay. We still manage one hotel today. Uh, okay. Again, that hotel opened in 2007, and we've managed it since it opened. Uh, so 14 years later, we've still managed that hotel. We've had uh, a tremendous ride with that hotel. Uh, but we really, as I started into that part of the, the Well and Good story, you know, we, we developed that hotel saying, this will be good to do this for our development business side of our business. Because when an Adam approaches us and says, I'm thinking about getting someone involved to help me develop a hotel, we now are able to say, 
we appreciate about you know we appreciate what you're about to take on, Adam. We've done yeah. it ourselves, yeah. not just at Gaylord, not just at John Q. Hammonds or other places. We've done it personally, so we right. know what you're about to embark on. And so we really turned our focus back to our development services, which we still provide to this day um, and has been a significant part of our company uh, up until now, uh, while all the time operating this hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, having good success there, uh, but going through the ups and downs of hotel ownership and management and you know there's some different perspectives as an owner versus a manager in this case. You know, we're on both sides of that table. We are the management company, but we're also uh, members of the general partner entity that oversees the the ownership of the hotel. And so, um, it's it's been a great ride. We just to fast forward, and you may have more questions about the the Westin, but just real quick. So, about eighteen months ago, we said, "Let's do more projects like the Westin. Let's take capital risk again." And let's look to develop some hotels where we will manage them after they're developed, as opposed to being just a fee developer, providing services in the development effort. And so that's what we've embarked on now. And that, you know, we we won't be, we're not a major developer. It's not like we're going to develop 20 hotels like we did in five years when I was John Q. Hammonds. But if we can do a hotel a year, that, that'd be great for us. And, and then we'll keep doing our on the side, not on the side, but the other portion of our uh, business efforts, providing development services to third parties, will continue to do that as well. Do you think that looking ahead, I know you haven't you haven't developed it yet, but do you think it'll be easier to get your second one as opposed to getting the first, or is the second always harder? I think I think it'll be. I don't know if easier is the word. Uh, we're certainly more knowledgeable going into it. Uh, because it is different uh, when you have to put together the capitalization stack as an individual or as, as a group of individuals, partners, as opposed to working for a company that has ca- significant cash on its balance sheet, has significant numbers of assets. And so when the lender says, I need a guarantee, oh, no problem, we have a you know, we have a company here that's worth a half a billion dollars and it will be the guarantor. Okay, we see that company, that's substantial, we'll accept that guarantor. You know, so we're more knowledgeable. I won't say that it will be easier, but maybe easier in the sense that we we know better what we're tackling. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can, you know what you need to line up ahead of time rather yeah. than getting, you know, getting blindsided by, oh, now we got to go find someone who's worth or has a company worth half a billion dollars. <laughs> right. right <laughs> wants right. to do business with us. Right. I'm, I, 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 there are so many directions that I want to take this conversation, but I'll try to try to stick to, you know, be very pointed as before jumping off of this, this boat here that we're talking about though, that the, what you explained about thinking that there was a business opportunity in the early two thousands during the downturn of banks taking over hotels and we could, we could then be a partner with the bank and take them over. That's very much a situation, you know, all, all things, you know, being, you know, put out on the table like that for, for me personally, that was, that was how the company that I started at the start of the pandemic started was thinking that this was, this was going to be an opportunity here. And that's just not really come together. 
Mm. Um, there's extend and pretend and restructuring and banks don't want to take these hotels onto their, uh, onto their balance sheets. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a, a lot of similarities from what's going on today with what you were explaining with how your company started back in the early 2000s. Are you seeing, is, is that a, from someone who's sort of been there and experienced what you thought it was going to be, you pivoted and now you've got this company and now we're going through this situation again, although it may be a little more prolonged than it was back then. Uh, is the landscape s- similar or is are we... It, is the is the perspective from lenders and developers different today than it was back then? Back then, com, uh, being say in the last recession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I think it is different. Um, I mean, it's it's you know our last recession was a more typical recession. Uh, you know, we're in a we're in a cyclical economy, if you will, generally speaking, in this country where we. We have times of growth and we have times of recession. And last, the last recession was one that was more of a typical economic recession. Uh, it, yeah, it did have some particular drivers, I guess, like any recession. But it wasn't like 9-11 where you had an event. It wasn't like the recession we went through in 2020 and early 2021 where it was, it was health you know, there was a health event, there was a pandemic that occurred that that was the uh, catalyst behind that recession. So I, certainly different in that regard. I think, I do think that it forced lenders to look at things differently because when you, sometimes, especially when a bank has a non-performing asset, they're going to look at the entire situation and say, why is this asset not performing? And in a non-recession environment, oftentimes the conclusion is, I mean, it's it could be poor management. It could be not the proper positioning within the market where the, the hotel's operating. It could be a number of different things. And so a bank might say to the owner, we don't agree with where you are with this asset for whatever reason, the operation, you know, positioning, what have you. Uh, and so we're foreclosing. And in that scenario, they're going to turn around then and sell that asset to someone that probably has a different view on that asset. Certainly, uh, they have to have some different view or, or it's not going to perform any differently. So they operate it better or they position it differently. They they do something that makes the asset perform. Frankly. You know, one of the things that could make it perform is the fact that the bank ends up owning the hotel for the debt that they loaned into it. So they have the ability to sell that hotel at a much lower cost basis than the than the owner could have. Mm-hmm. Right. He had his full cost basis in it and it makes it harder to make it work. So uh, I think it you know, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Adam, but it's it's different from those perspectives. This recession being created by the COVID virus, uh, I think banks looked at it and they said, we can come and take Adam's hotel and give it to Glenn. But what's Glenn going to do different than Adam's been doing? Mm-hmm. He, right. I mean, Adam's not successful because demand dried up, pure and simple. It right. just dried up. People stopped traveling, whether they were leisure travelers, whether they were business travelers, whether they were 
meeting attendees, they stopped traveling. And I think banks realized that and said, it does this, generally speaking, it doesn't do us any good to foreclose on assets. Certainly there were assets that were foreclosed upon, but not in the great wave that we saw, you know, in the early 90s in that recession, where all of these assets ended up in the Resolution Trust Corporation, RTC, owned by the federal government. And the federal government was selling these hotels off for pennies on the dollars, you know. They they bought them from banks at the you know at the note level that the bank had on it, but then the federal government turned around and sold it for far less than they had paid the bank for the note. Why? Because they're the federal government; they they have that ability, right. you know. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. I think I think this one's different, uh, probably as every recession is in some We're regard. All a little different, yeah. Yeah, I know you've got a hard stop here soon, so I'll I'll wrap up with uh, with a quick question. Um, you mentioned something earlier about having, and I think this is very interesting. Uh, you've got two perspectives: you've got the owner perspective and the manager perspective on a hotel. <clears throat> and uh, I don't think we need to. Everybody knows what we've been through. A lot of markets in the country are still going through it right now. But is there anything that the past eighteen or so months has reinforced for you that you thought was true, but now you know is true as an owner? And then is it different as a manager? Um, I, I think, I think, um, I think I thought, I thought that uh, generally, from from everything you and I've been talking about here, I think I thought that lenders were looking at things differently now than they did say, you know, 30 years ago in that recession of the early 90s that I mentioned. Uh, and I think I think this confirmed it. Um, it didn't make it easy. Uh, <clears throat> we had an asset like most hotel owners. We had an asset in downtown Memphis that was not performing. Um, and so it forced us to sit down and work with the lender uh, to determine what we were going to do. Um, there's a, a whole nother discussion there. We have CMBS debt. It's a mortgage. I'm sorry, mortgage. It's a commercial mortgage-backed security loan. CMBS commercial mortgage-backed security loan on on the West and in Memphis, and that brings in a different level. Uh, or 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 a, a, a greater level of inflexibility on the lender's part uh, with regard to doing any kind of workout with the owner than would say a traditional bank like we had originally uh, secured the debt on the hotel development with First Horizon. You know, First Horizon is able to do some things that uh, a loan that's in a, a commercial mortgage-backed security transaction. Uh, you don't have the same flexibility. And so, um, but but even with that said, I think it confirmed what I had always thought that, you know, lenders, lenders look at things differently now and they're willing to be, you know, every lender's different, but, but they were willing to sit down with us and talk about the situation. And, and, and we, we were able to find a way through it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that answered your question. And what was the rest of your question? Yeah, though the rest of it was this, is effectively the same question as a manager. Though I mean, you're still responsible for the day to day operation of the hotel. There's you know you've got employees that are looking to you to kind of you know provide for themselves. Like there's there's a lot at play here. Did kind of the same thing? Did you did you think something was true that was reinforced? through the, the pandemic as we come out of it when you're dealing with the people on the ground who execute the vision? Yeah, I think uh, we, we have a tremendous team at the hotel and they have been, uh, they've just been great to work with all the way through COVID. Um, you know, we had to downsize uh, the organization because we just didn't have revenue coming in. Uh, but, but we kept key uh, team members and those t- key team, team members have been just phenomenal working with us through this process. It's not been easy. It's not been easy for us. It's not been easy for the team uh, at the hotel each day. Uh, but, but we've worked through that together. I think, um, you know, there's differences in views. You know, I'm on the one hand, I'm on the ownership side. And I'm looking at this asset and saying, how much additional risk do I want to take, right? And then over on the management side, I'm saying to my partners, we've got a great asset here. We can't let it go away. I mean, and and something you, you mentioned uh, talking about things that you thought were true that were confirmed. Here's one that I thought was true that was not confirmed. In fact, I was incorrect in my opinion. You're reading my mind. That was my follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, so so we we go into the COVID in in March of twenty twenty, and our business just dries up, and you know I'm saying to my partners, uh, you know, this is temporary. You know, ninety days this will be over with. You know, and we just got to hang with this. And and we had we've been reasonable as owners. You know, we we keep capital in the business. And we knew that we had capital to carry us for some time. And so I just felt like we would we would pop right out of this. And uh, but the government shutdown lasted longer than we thought. Uh, and even after the government shutdown ended, uh, I don't think I had uh, at all an, a good understanding or appreciation for the way uh, corporations would look at this virus in terms of their people and basically say, Adam, we still don't want you traveling as our employee. We don't think it's safe for you to be out there, you know? So while you might be willing to travel, now many people weren't willing to travel, but but while you might be willing to travel, your company was saying, no, we don't want you on the road. And so that went much longer than I personally anticipated as well. So it was a much more, it's been a much more difficult road than I anticipated it would be. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you've changed your mind or your perspective on that's been colored by this whole pandemic situation? Um, I, I, you know, I think I, I, I have a lot, a lot of different feelings about that answer. Some good, not some, not so good. Um, I, I think my mind has been changed, uh, in terms of our government a little bit. I don't, I, you know, I think government in, you know, not unlike me, I think government 
didn't necessarily respond in the right way in 2020 and even in 2021. Um, so, and, and that's had direct impacts to our business, uh, negative impacts. Um, I don't believe in retrospect that uh, a shutdown of the economy was the right uh, thing to do in 2020. Um, I think many have come to that conclusion, but I, I was sitting at home working from home myself. I wasn't coming into this office, and I thought that was a good thing. I thought, yeah, this will this will knock out the virus. It won't be able to spread, and we'll get through this quickly. And that was not a good assumption. And government made that same assumption. I guess I guess I, maybe I, I looked to government and thought they knew better. And maybe they do. And their government's made up of us. That's we right. are the government, right? Mm-hmm. People. And so I think that that perspective has changed. On the flip side, you know, um, and I've got mixed emotions on this too, uh, but, but government stepped in to help at the same time. You know, uh, one of the things that got the West and Memphis through uh, to where we are today is the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. Uh, and it's been the case for, I think, many uh, hotel owners. Uh, so that's something where government stepped in and helped us. Uh, and it, and it's, it's been a big help. Uh, yeah. It wasn't the only answer. I mean, we still had to, as owners, we had to put capital into the business to get to where we are today. Um, but it was a help for sure. So in some cases, I look at the situation and say, you know, responses have been incorrect, not good. In other situations, I look at it and say that the responses have certainly been helpful. Yeah, yeah. There's no, it just seems like there's no right answer, right? There's yeah. no, there's, there's, no, there's no easy answer. Easy answer. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you realize, yeah, you realize you have to give grace, you know, because we think we know what to do and many times we don't. Yeah. 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 And exactly. I'm speaking of me personally you know, local government, federal government, what have you. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, I know you got to hop off here, so I'll, I'll wrap the show here, but uh, man, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you, stuff. Adam. I've enjoyed uh, it. I think this is great. If uh, if anybody wants to learn more about you or Well and Good Partners, what's a good place for them to go? Uh, wellandgood.com. Uh, check out our website. And uh, if you're interested in talking with me, further and you're listening to this podcast, you can find uh, contact information there to reach out to me. Sounds good. I'll link to everything in the show notes uh, and some other things that we talked about on the show today. Glenn, uh, again, thanks for being on the show. This was fantastic. Thank you, Adam. This was my episode with Glenn Malone. You can learn more about him and Well and Good Partners at wellandgood.com. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.